Welcome to the Highway to Well. Today we're talking with Maddie Spees, mental wellness expert and leader in the suicide prevention and awareness field. Today we're going to dive into mental health and wellness under the duress of COVID life. We'll also talk about the evolving definition of wellness and how organizations and individuals can be better prepared for mental health issues. Medi reminds us that there is no health without mental health. Thanks again for listening, and let's get on the highway to well. Welcome back to the Highway to Well. We're here with Maddie Spees, Certified Psychological Health and Safety Advisor. Maddie's dubbed the stigma crusher by clients worldwide. She is a workplace mental health expert that connects with goals to include mentally resilient employees, stigma-free work environments, and empowered leaders. Maddie is the 2016 National Alliance on Mental Illness Education Advancement Award winner and an international keynote speaker and the founder of A World Without Suicide. As a trusted advisor to workplaces in 22 industries across 35 countries, Medi has strategically designed effective, sustainable wellness programs for over a decade. We're very fortunate to have her today. Welcome, Medi, to the Highway to Well. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, this is a quite an exciting and interesting time for us. And I know we've we've been discussing the dynamics of COVID life and the massive amount of stress and anxiety that for some, to some degree, we're not completely aware of yet. We're, we're, it's kind of this fluid dynamic environment where every day is different. And so that compiling amount of stress and anxiety just continues to unfold in different ways. And, and then we're, we're seeing some uh, policy decisions that are, leaving us almost sometimes more confused. And so what I want to start off our discussion today is to talk about where we really are and and talk about what that means in terms of our mental health and the impact that it has on individuals plus organizations, because a lot of us are in work sites that have now been dramatically changed and we're not sure what our workplace of the future is going to look like. So under these stresses of COVID life, what, what is that meeting on mental health in the workplace and, and for individuals? Sure. You put it perfectly, Derek, uh, capturing the, the day-to-day changes and the confusion and panic. And I'll preface the feedback I'm receiving by mentioning that I work with small and very large global employers who who support and employ diverse groups of people. And what's interesting is although they are not all in the same boat, so to speak, their quote new normal isn't the same as as maybe the next workplace. What's interesting is that we're all caught in the same COVID-19 storm. Different boat, same storm. 
And there's two challenges that employers are reaching out about, though, however, that are consistent across the board. One being struggling to provide effective support to their population, whether that means they are trying to support and engage remote workers effectively who perhaps in the past have never worked remotely and are now juggling work and homeschooling and taking care of their family and or supporting essential frontline staff who are dealing with the paralyzing fear of contracting COVID-19, many of whom are working around the clock and are reaching that burnout point. The second challenge and, and top of mind concern is the dramatic increase we're seeing in substance abuse, mental health issues, and suicidal crisis among populations who are struggling to cope with some of the COVID-19 related stressors that you mentioned. Yeah, that that is something that is, and, and obviously we are in a world where we're, our attention is directed towards the, the 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 tragedy of what how the rollout I, I don't even know what the right words are to really describe it but the process of a, the crisis so we're mm-hmm. focusing and mobilizing and, and and there's been that period of that mobilization where all of our attention and our resources have been directed more or less in one direction and in to, and then in that one direction, we've been focused on the most at-risk people in that scenario. So that's the people who are most likely to contract COVID or are, are part of, I guess you could say, the fear of spreading and managing the control mechanisms in place in very diff- different places. And, and due to a lot of the policy decisions that either have been made or haven't been made, that has been left into um, varying degrees of, of methods and strategies where there's no real consensus on how are we going to handle this. And then you start moving down that checklist of testing and, and then all the healthcare resources add that we need to access and, and make available. And then we have the essential versus non-essential workplace and, and business community. So there's been a, a lot of struggle in determining what is essential and what is non-essential and how does that play out in different states and, and regions of states or in, in how um, the economy is functioning, but then also where the, where is that place workers? And so I think that we are, we've, we've gotten through a mobilization period and we're still mobilizing in a lot of ways but if you go through the stages of of a an event or in pandemic and we're we're now into uh, that lockdown and now finding new normals in different ways and again it it feels like there isn't a well and you you talked about this of that shared storm experience but there's also such a wide degree of how it's happening in different places because the way that this is operating is states are making their own decisions. And so there are different populations that are going through different phases. And because of the way COVID spreads, we're mobilizing for, um, for a great, uh, a greater impact on our healthcare system that may or may not be realized or in the case of like New York, it explodes and then we're completely, um, caught off guard in a lot of ways and then but we're still 
as a, as a group, as a society, I, we're so focused on those primary factors of numbers, data, we're, we're paying attention to the news and we're watching the increases of cases and, and those people that have died from this. But your point, um, especially under that second point that you brought out is in terms of coping, that is something that hasn't necessarily been reported as much. And, and I know we have plenty to discuss about that, but that is one of the, one of the areas, or I shouldn't say one of the areas or multiple areas to talk about there, but the coping strategies are something that I don't want us to be caught off guard by because we weren't paying attention to those, to those issues. And we know our workforce, our parents are, you know, all of us are under that stress of, of our employment status, whether or not we are going to be at home schooling our kids while we're also mm-hmm. trying to work. And then how do we make ends meet and, and what are supply chains looking like in, in different areas in the country? So we have these massive issues that have been there. Um, and we know that these are, these coping strategies are, are oftentimes what people um, are go to in the face of any sort of stress and anxiety. And now we're, that's been completely blown up to the proportions that we see under COVID. And we, we can't be surprised at what is happening there and we shouldn't be surprised. And so that is a, such a critical concept for us to talk about. Um, And I think that that's, that's going to tie us into our concept of wellness too. So when we talk about wellness and we're seeing conceptually, I hope, this gives us that opportunity to broaden the way we talk about it and that we include that emotional and mental health as that top of our mind concern. And yet that's where I think we may struggle in because we're, we tend to focus on the physical health and our data is driven by a lot of those physical health um, concerns and areas. So when we talk about COVID, we spend a lot of time focusing on at risk. Well, well the at risk group, if that is, we look at the factors, if that's obesity, diabetes, pre-diabetes, hypertension, those are going to be the areas that probably get a lot of attention. We're going to focus our resources into those areas because we feel like that's a targeted group that we can try to help. Yet what you're talking about here, especially in these two points is there's a lot of other pieces here that cannot be overlooked if we think that we're going to try to help people. And, and that's something that I want to, I want us to definitely dive into and talk about those issues here that are beyond those health risk factors. Cause I don't want us to end up paying most of our attention yet into the risk management health factors kind of kind of where we've been as a wellness field in a lot of ways in terms of how we manage wellness at a work site and we provide health risk assessments and we try to identify those that need the most medical attention um, those typically are the backbones of most organizational wellness programs and it's unfortunate that that's we start to narrow our scope into those areas because um, mm-hmm. We know that it's bigger than that. We know that there are mental and emotional issues that are not easily recorded in those scenarios 
that are very important. Plus, we know that those mental and emotional issues are the ones that are typically at the root of these physical health ailments as well. And connecting those two dots now is is the most significant thing we could probably do for ourselves is to not not just mm-hmm. assume that we're going to focus on the most obese and diabetic um, risk group in order to try to solve COVID. That we need to be looking at this broader and and make it such a bigger um, expand that definition of wellness so we do not leave emotional um, well-being over to the side. And I know we talked about before uh, in a, within a large organization, you know, a lot of times mental and emotional well-being kind of gets shoved over into a corner where EAP services that need. And when we started um, in, our, in our own organization, we started working with building tools and resources for our associate population and their well-being and we brought to the forefront in wellness, we've long talked about that as social, emotional health and well-being as part of that wellness continuum. And we brought it to the leadership in charge of developing resources. And, and it was a light bulb coming on that said, wait, we, this is all a continuum of care. And it allowed us to have that conversation internally about when we talk about wellness, we're talking about resiliency and energy management. We're, we are talking about physical health, but we're also talking about mental and emotional health. And so in your area, your, your, your work has, has um, covered so much ground in this area in health and safety. Do you think that we're taking steps forward or backwards in prior prioritizing mental health as that essential part of well-being? You unpacked a lot there. <laughs> so, so much. That was that was fantastic and, and fascinating to listen to. Uh, I will answer that question in, in just a second. But one thing I, I really felt compelled to respond to was your point of we have to be ready and prepared for the impact. And and one thing I've been sharing is that none of us that I'm aware of were prepared or saw COVID-19 coming so that we prepared for this global pandemic. But what we as individuals and families and employers can do is be completely prepared for the mental health impact that COVID is having on our, ourselves, our families, and our employee population. So, and I know we'll, we'll be talking about preparation a bit later uh, today, but just wanted to mention that. In regard to your steps forward and, and back and, and comprehensive wellness, I, I agree that prior to COVID, some employers either ignored employee mental health completely or they passed out a 1-800 number at benefits enrollment time, and, and that was really the extent of support. With the depression, anxiety, and suicide rates increasing due to COVID, mental health can no longer be ignored. And it is a top-of-mind concern for a lot of employers. So in that way, you could view it as we're taking a step forward. In regard to your points about the the physical health-related risk reduction and how historically in, in wellness programs or risk management programs, we've really focused on that physical health There are two points I'll I'll share that often get overlooked but can make a dramatic impact on personal and employer wellness approaches. 
One would be that poor mental health is directly linked to obesity, um, diabetes, and heart disease risk. There really is no health without mental health. And if listeners want to learn more about the science between that mental health and and physical health link, the American Heart Association published an incredible report called Mental Health, a Workforce in Crisis. It's eye-opening and definitely worth reading. So um, I'm happy to to share that link with, with listeners. The other point to think about, which in my opinion is is most important, is that to your point, Derek, with the attention the world is is putting on COVID, it, it's a, a global priority. Um, there there are safety regulations, support programs in place, and the media coverage is nonstop. What I'm I'm going to share are some numbers uh, for perspective, but. First, I want to sincerely emphasize to everyone listening that I don't want to minimize the lives lost to COVID because even one life lost is a tragedy. And I know, Derek, you you feel the exact same way. As of today, John Hopkins reported that the global deaths related to COVID-19 is uh, around 217,000. Now, according to the World Health Organization, 800,000 people die due to suicide every year, and approximately 16 million suicide attempts occur every year. So 800,000 and 16 million every year. So my question to you, Derek, and the listeners to really think about is what would happen and how many lives could we save if we gave suicide prevention and mental health support even a fraction of the attention we're giving to COVID-19. Yeah, that is, that is such a thoughtful and um, grounding kind of anchors us into some of the other pieces of our health that we're not paying attention to now. And I think that that's, that's absolutely wonderful because we are in this. So in this period, you know, we are at our best. I, and I think by and large, we are seeing an incredible amount of resiliency and conflict and conflict resolution and problem solving. And, the amount of creative synergy that has happened in order to survive has been a credit Mm -hmm. to our ability to work together and get through this. And yet there is a, when we start talking about grit and a grit phase, well, you know, and we're talking about, our ability to maximize our internal resources to try to get through something. And, and that may work in a, in a short term. And, and to some degree, some people can handle these situations for long periods of time, but we know that first of all, this isn't easy. This isn't easy for anyone. And there are lives being lost and, and we're being talked about it. And, you know, I, I, sometimes I, I don't 
I know it's tough, but we talk about this a lot of this whole period. If you pay attention to media, a lot of it is rooted in the economy. And then we start talking about other times in our recent American history where the economy failed, had had issues, you know, in very different degrees. We went through recessions and we went through different periods. But, you know, when we start talking about 2008, 2009, we also forget that there wasn't a health pandemic going on. Like it was, Mm -hmm. there were factors that were impacting the economy and, and those have led, you know, those led to some of the same issues that we would see today with um, increases in suicide and and stress and anxiety and depression. But we also didn't have this pandemic going on. And so we have an environment that is impacting our views of health and safety in addition to the economy. And, and when we start talking about factors like in data, like you're type, you know, like you bring up about 16 million suicide attempts, we cannot forget that there is, um, this is a situation that is ripe. It's a, it's a fertile ground for us n- having the opportunity to, as you say, be better prepared for what we know is likely to happen. And as this goes on longer, we must be able to anticipate and provide those resources for companies and and individuals to handle it. Even though today they may say, I'm doing a really good job, I'm being resilient. We know in this dynamic environment, tomorrow could be a lot different. There are Mm -hmm. things that could happen today that could change our mental well-being in a hurry. And mm-hmm. that is different than any other situation we've seen before. So how I want to ask you, how can employers and individuals be better prepared for this and, and help with this process? Sure. Great question. In terms of the, the employer side of things, strategically planning for employees to transition back, including, as an example, how many employees at a time and how many safety protocols and guards are in place to minimize the risk of contracting COVID, which will in turn, of course, give employees some peace of mind. And one one thing to consider is if you're currently um, have a remote employee population or frontline workers that you are having ongoing support with, sending a survey asking what they need to feel safe at work um, can be helpful. Just giving them a voice to say, and it may be, they may say something that you hadn't even thought of, but it's an easy thing to provide and, and give some peace of mind during this time. It's also strongly recommended to set managers up for success. Uh, because of course they're dealing with their their own stressors, but then leading teams. So training them with skills to support the psychological safety of staff during this time and and ongoing to proactively identify warning signs and know how to safely intervene in an employee mental health and suicidal related crisis. And if listeners are wondering about what trainings are available, I can share some information at the end of our chat. 
In terms of individuals preparing, because as you mentioned, Derek, it can be different day to day or even hour to hour how we feel. So really anchoring in and having immediate support that can be available. So whether that's, you know, a go-to person or family members or keeping um, no-cost support options at your fingertips. So as an example, there is the U.S. text line, which can be reached 24-7, no cost, texting home to 741-741. You can connect to a a certified counselor and talk through stressors uh, that you're you're currently going through. Also, if you feel like you are at that breaking point or um, a family member or friend is, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Um, around the clock, no cost. Their number is 1-800-273-8255. So have those available just in case if needed. Yeah, thank you for for sharing some of that information. And and I think there are a couple of points that that you brought up that are absolutely critical. And it's, it's kind of what, there are a couple of things that I would want listeners to be to automatically go in their brain and then it gets repeated. So it becomes just part of their thought process and that there is no health without mental health. And that isn't a COVID issue. I mean, that is not something that just suddenly popped up because we're under this pandemic and the stress and anxiety, and it might be exposing it in greater capacity. We're able to filter through and kind of understand and see what's going on a little differently, but that just, it gives us, it's like a, it's like having a plumb line right into our mental health. And we see this light that we should have paid better attention to previously, Mm -hmm. but this might be an opportunity for us to really make sure that it is always part of the conversation. And, and I, you know, and I've been working in the organizational corporate wellness field for a long time. And, and we've been working with a couple of our uh, groups on developing and use of a satisfaction and happiness tool, in addition to your standard health risk assessment, so that we can have conversations with employees about how they're being and just how do they feel and how much do they like what they do and what can the organization do to improve that? Because that's going to end up helping those health factors that we pay a lot of attention to and have our line dollars and all the, all the number crunching data behind it is we change it better. If we, if we include mental health as part of that health picture. And then the other thing you brought up that is, I hope is really important and everyone who's in decision-making roles and helping people get through this is peace of mind right now is incredibly significant. And so you brought up a great point about asking the employees, especially ones that are returning back to a workplace, ask them what they need. We can't assume that they all feel a certain way and that they all feel safe about coming back to any kind of environment and what measures might the organization be able to take to make them feel safe and that peace of mind? We know peace of mind is, is one of those critical factors for presenteeism, absenteeism, and some of the things that we like to think about and put numbers to, but when it comes down to it, a lot of it is just sharing the conversation with the employees to make sure that we're really understanding what they need. So I'm, I'm really glad that you brought those, those points up. 
and and then some of the other resources for people. And prior to COVID, you were out full time on the road as a mental health speaker and trainer. So yes. your your life has changed dramatically here recently in, in a lot of ways, but it's these types of conversations that keep you out in the forefront of these conversations too and help people. I know you have a lot of um, other speaking events and different things coming up too, where a lot of people are going to get to hear your message. And for some that may be the first time they're hearing you. So that is wonderful that you're, you're maybe getting to some new people now because your work has meant so much in, in a lot of different ways. But I want you to, I want you to also hear as we, as we get towards the end of our conversation here is share a little about your, your resources and support for mental health and well-being that employers could access during this time. And if, if it's other than what you were just talking about too, with um, some of the other resources you mentioned. Sure. Sure. Happy to. And yes, I, whenever I can get a boarding pass and uh, be on the road again is, is going to be a very, very happy day. So I, very much look forward to to continuing that. Um, but in the interim, we do have a digital program called Protecting Minds in Panicked Times. And it contains a certified mental health safety training for managers, HR and wellness leaders. It also has a video library to support the mental well-being of employees, which has, as an example, best practice anxiety relief techniques, healthy coping, how-to videos such as how to support a family member or coworker in crisis. And the Protecting Minds in Panic Times is available with a simple subscription option, or employers can purchase it to put it on their internal learning management system, so they have ongoing unlimited access to their employees. So for details, uh, listeners can email me directly, Metti, M-E-T-T-I-E, at A World Without Suicide, or they can visit stigmafreeworkplace.com, and our digital resource information is on there. Thank you. And some of that and that information will also be if, if someone's writing this down, then they can also check in the description about this podcast to get to get that information too. Um, so if, if we missed it, then we'll make sure and include it in that information that goes out to everyone. And as we so as we wrap up here, and then this has been and I've been excited to talk to you for a while. And when we originally had talked about getting on the podcast and talking, and I do a lot of work with uh, high school age athletes, and I've been implementing mm-hmm. some mental health and well-being programs with my high school boys soccer team, and have been really pleased about growing that idea about. Uh, relationship abuse, consent, and some of the things that happen to them with their high school lives and just building respect and integrity in them. But then we also started doing a kicking the stigma um, campaign here between, uh, we, we have two high schools that we share in raising money and funds. And we've been able to provide about $12,000 to NAMI here in central Wisconsin over the past couple of years. And so this, these, these are issues so as I, as I just mentioned, some of the things that you're talking about are 
they're heightened by COVID, that these are not COVID specific issues that we're talking about and they're significantly <laughs> important. And I appreciate your work and all the work you've done. And I want to get you back here so we can talk about schools and high school life and some of the other groups that you work with. But I, what I love about this conversation, what I loved hearing from you today is, is there's this, there's this dichotomy going on in, in, in what we are all under, you know, in this great storm and that we're all equally afraid and scared. And that those are just emotions mm-hmm. that we have on a daily basis. Even good days, we still, I'm sure as I do, I sit back and think, oh, should I really be happy right now? Because I feel like something's about to happen. <laughs> you kind of, you're, mm. you're almost guilty about any good thing because you know of everything that's going on around you. But in that, there is that the other side of it. And that's the opportunity. And that's the opportunity to mm-hmm. be more vulnerable and open about the things that we should care about. And I think there's I've had amazing conversations over the past few weeks about purpose and meaning. And when we start digging into those issues, we start getting to the root of our mental health and well-being because that is at the core of why we do what we do and, and who we are and our behavior and attitudes. And and if we can get closer to having these conversations, then we very well might come out of this better prepared and have a safer and better society once we're allowed to get back together again. Um, any closing thoughts here from you, Maddie? Oh, you just wrapped that up perfectly. <laughs> and I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I look forward to moving forward and, and having the what we talked about and, and being more compassionate and empathetic and, and stronger together. So I very much look forward to that. And thank you for all of the work that you're doing with high school students. I work with students and educators. They're one of the, the industries I serve and it's, it's so needed there. So thank you for the work that you do. Yeah, it's, it's really great. And I'm, and I, like I said, I, I know that you do quite a bit of work. And so in the future, I want us to have that conversation as well. But I want to thank you again for coming on and um, for all the work that you're doing and the pivoting that you've had to do to make sure that you continue to get your information and resources and tools out to people. Um, Thank you for doing that and, and for all the work that you do. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. And thank you to everyone who's listening. Thank you again. Bye-bye.